Ah, thank you so much, Naomi. What a beautiful song. and Appreciate the spirit in which you gave it to us. I want to uh, beg for your ear this morning, uh, your spiritual ear. And the book of Revelation, don't turn there. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. But in the book of Revelation, several times over when Jesus is addressing those churches, he made this statement. He said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. The idea is he's not talking about your your physical ear, but your spiritual ear. Uh, There's spirit-filled preaching, and then there's spirit-filled listening. And we need to be on on the right frequency, all of us. I need to be there, and you need to be there. And and I I beg for your your spiritual attention and your ear this morning. This could save all of us a a world of heartache. Um, When I was in college, uh, I started to major in music. My first year was spent in music. And I had all of my other courses that you typically would take, Western Civ and so forth, some psych courses, etc., English, and then loaded up with, with music courses. And then at the end of uh, my first year, God had been stirring in my heart about, about preaching. And in August, August the 8th, 1977, I, I publicly surrendered to preach. I had already done that in my heart, but in a public way. And uh, in a Christian college there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I changed my major to Bible, and my minor was in, in history. And so that's, that was my pursuit. Didn't have to change a lot because your freshman year, you know, I made those music classes part of my electives, and I'm glad I did that. Well, you had some required um, psychology classes, some intro classes, and then I think 12 hours and then you had some elective classes that you could take. Uh, my son John, he, he majored in psychology uh, in school. And then he went on and got some a uh, couple of other degrees after that to help him with his teaching uh, that he does there in Chattanooga. But two, two of those elective classes in, in psychology that I had were, were very helpful. In fact, I wish I could take them over again now. Uh, as an older person, but they really were helpful early on. One was organizational psychology, and uh, it really helped a lot. As a young person, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, just learning about uh, the psychology of an organization, how it functions, the X and Y theory, what motivates a person, what demotivates people. And then my, my senior year, I tutored a course. I, I, during the summer, I would drive up to Chattanooga one day a week, and I spent three hours with the teacher, just one-on-one in his office. And uh, he and I, and I got credit for that course through the summer, uh, and it was on abnormal psychology. And it was just fascinating. Um, I, I went ahead and I thought, well, this, this might be interesting, but it was very, it was very helpful too. Abnormal psychology. Now, the word psychology means 
the study of the mind or of study of human behavior. I remember when one of my children was taking uh, in school here locally at a junior college. I've told you this story before. And uh, psychology can be extremely liberal. In fact, uh, most of the time is, depending upon the teacher and the textbooks. And so um, I went into their bedroom when they got their textbook. I said, now I want to show you some things. And I opened up the textbook. I went back into the index in the back and began to look up three or four things. I turned to the, I'd never seen the book before. Turned to the sections and began to read some things and pointed some things out. And boy, their eyes got as big as saucers and said, Daddy, how did you know that these things were in this book? I said, well, you just wait. There's more. And I said, not only are they in this book, but, but your professor... Whether it's a man or a woman, I'm not sure. But the likelihood is they're going to say some things that are not in agreement with the Bible. So I, I don't want you to go in there. I want you to be gracious. I want you to be respectful. But I don't want you to go in there just, well, hey, feed me, sock it to me. Because I've just showed you four or five instances here that I... And they said, well, where, where did you know to look? I said, I've never seen this book before. But I knew what topics to look up and to show you that this book is not absolutely true. And psychology is like that. It's the study of the mind and of human behavior. Now, it's a fascinating subject to me. Now, the word psychology comes from a Greek word. Now, stay with me. Stay with me real quick, okay? I'm, I'm going to get past this, but you need to stay with me. comes from the Greek word suke. And transliterated, you get the word psyche. Do you know what the, you know what the Greek word suke is in the New Testament? It's the word soul. It's the word soul. So biblically, bibl- now stay with me, biblically, an approach to psychology is, is a study of the soul. In other words, the best book on psychology is the Word of God. And almost 500 times in the Bible, the word soul is used. Now, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You do not possess a soul. You are a soul. When you go to a funeral home, you see a dead body there. The soul is missing. The person is gone. You see, your, your soul is your mind, your emotion, and your will. It's the way you think. It's the way you, you feel. Your expressions. It, it's the way you choose. And those are the areas that when God begins to work in your life, He transforms. He transforms your soul. Those are the areas of sanctification where He makes you Christ-like. Uh, may I put it this way? He changes your personality. Now, he may not, if you're an introvert, he may not make you an extrovert. If you're an extrovert, he may not make you an introvert, but he make you, he'll make you better. And he will make you holy. If you're angry, he will make you calm. And if you're full of hate, he will make you loving. And if you're impatient, he will help you to, to wait on God. And so the narrative of the Bible, and listen carefully, is not about psychology, 
the narrative of the Bible is about redemption. It's about Jesus Christ coming to redeem us. But He didn't just come to redeem us out of hell. He came to redeem your soul. And the place of sanctification happens in your mind, in what you think, in your feelings, and also in your choices, in the kind of person you are. And you begin to change. And tucked away here in Philippians chapter 2, in this early chapter, is an evidence of sanctification that's seen in your soul. You know what it is? Maybe you've never thought about it because you think of it in terms of an organization. You know what it is? It's unity. And not only does he speak about unity really in, in the general chapter of Philippians chapter 2, that's the fruit, but he, talk, he gives us the root of it. He talks about these ingredients. He doesn't just give us the cake. He said, you, here's, here's what, the way you need to live. He tells us how to live that way. And he says, these need to be the evidences that are present in your soul so that you can have unity in your home. So you can have unity with your wife. You can have unity with your children. You can have unity in a church. And not only does he give us an evidence of sanctification, which is unity, but he also gives a benefit of unity. And I want us to look at this, these first four verses, and, and I want to just... Focus on one aspect of it this morning, okay? Well, you look at it, Philippians chapter 2, and I want to encourage you to memorize these verses. Just write them on a card somewhere and begin to focus. Let them, let them get in your heart. Philippians 2 and verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation, notice these terms, these foundational terms, these building blocks of unity, to any friendship, to any marriage, to any church, to any home, if you do not have these, if you're absent these, you're not going to have unity. Uh, we talk about unity. Our nation is, is, is distressed now, and we're, we're missing these qualities. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, Paul said, that ye be, look at this, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And he exhorts him, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing. The word vainglory has the idea of for your glory. Rather than God's glory. It has you out of a selfish mind. Striving to, to get your way. But rather in lowliness of mind. You know a humble person. Doesn't think lowly of himself necessarily. He doesn't think of himself at all. If you ask him are you humble. Well, I, I don't know. Whoever the best Christian is in this room. Whoever he or she is. They don't know that they are. Because they don't think about it. They're not trying to compete with other people. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem or value other better than themselves. More important. And here's the summary of, of these first three verses in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, 
but every man also on the things of others. This is a transformation of the Holy Spirit's work. And he talks there in verse 1 about these things are in Christ. They're of the Spirit. As sons and daughters of God, when, when the Spirit of God comes in you, when, when God places you in Christ, you have the potential to be a person of unity. Now, sometimes they oh man, unity. Only weak people do that. Well, you try it. You try getting along with your wife. You try submitting to your husband. You try submitting to the authority of your parents. No, there's no weakness there. You try trusting God to work through authority. There's no weakness there. It takes the power of God. So this unity, and I emphasized this last week, is not organizational. Now it's important that you know your role. Okay, you know your function, and the Bible teaches us that. But I know people that know their function in marriage, they know, they know their function in church, but they can't get along with anybody. Because it's not organizational unity, it's organic unity. It springs out of life, of the life of God within us that gives me a desire to sacrifice what I want for the good of others. It makes me willing to go last and yield my interest. Look, not every man on his own things, but for the things of others. That's supernatural. That's not natural. And you know what natural is? is to, put, to, to be assertive, even, even in an aggressive way or in a subtle way. Now, last week we looked at these, these qualities, and there's four qualities here in verse 1. There are more than this, and I, I want to hurriedly mention these because I, I want you to get these. These are building blocks. If you do not have these, you will not have a, a home that's in unity. Listen, if your home is not in unity, you won't have a church in unity. The, these qualities are, are so fundamental. The word consolation, verse 1. I taught you it means to soothe. To soothe. It means to ease a pain. It's a compound word. It means to minister to people in distress. It means to sit by them. And, and you, you soothe them with your words, with your presence, with your, with your actions. You have a consoling effect. The word comfort in verse 1. The word comfort means to offer your strength when a person is weak, when they're hurting. And again, it's a, it's a compound word. And it means you show up and it means that you are there in your presence. This is not mechanical. This is not have to, this is good to. And the text there says it's a comfort of love. I show up because I want to, because I have not, not because I have to, but because I love you. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. I love my friends. I want to comfort them. Years ago, uh, I had a friend that, that lost one of his family members. And, and after the funeral service, I came to the funeral. I didn't speak at the funeral. But after the funeral, I, I came to him because there were so many people there. And my friend hugged me and he looked at me and he said, I, I knew you would be here. I knew you would be here. 
You know what he was saying? He was saying, our, our relationship is such as I, I knew you would be by my side to console me and to comfort me in a time of adversity. Now look, there's, there's sometimes maybe you can't be there in person, but you need to do everything you can to show comfort. The word fellowship in verse 1 means to communicate at a very transparent level, gut level. This is a deep spiritual friendship. And it says of the fellowship of the Spirit. This is kind of like, it really means the fellowship you have with Christ through the Holy Spirit. But this is a spiritual relationship. And it's the kind of relationships we need to have at church. And you can't have this relationship with everybody. You ought to be transparent and real. But do you have real friends? Somebody said, you, you, need to live, you need to live for your six. Now, that's a military term most of you know. You know, watch your six. Watch your back. And when I was reading the book, Live for Your Six, I said, what does that mean? And I was wrong. They said, no, live for the six that are going to carry your casket one day. Now, whether it's six or eight, it doesn't matter. But you know what? There's something to that. And it's not about being cliquish. It's just about who, 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 do you, who, who bears your burdens. And there ought to be people in this room. Hopefully, it's your spouse and your siblings and your parents, especially as you get older. And this is all a part of being, if you do not have these qualities, you won't be in unity. You may be in union. You can hang, somebody said, put two, hang two cats by the, on a clothesline next to each other. And you'll have union, but you won't have unity. You can have organizational unity. You're married, you're in the same house, but it's not a home. You're in the same church, but there's no sweetness. Because you don't, you don't have these qualities. And then we looked at the old English word bowels there, which means heartfelt feelings. It has the idea of an affection where my heart is stirred. I feel something. I love you so deeply. And the word is, is I think, used in the plural every time except for one time in the Bible. These are feelings, plural Mercies is plural. The compassions that lead to action. This is not a dry, dutiful unity. This is something that, that I care. And it's tender. It's genuine. It's thoughtful. You know, maybe you say, boy, I'd love to have a friend like that. Well, you know, a greater blessing is to be a friend like this. And to be a husband and be a wife and be a parent and be a brother like this. I remember when my my sister passed away and and uh, I had, had been meditating on Proverbs seventeen seventeen that a friend loveth at all times, but a brother, a brother is born for adversity. She's my only sister. She fought through that cancer, and, and it was just it was destroying her, and she battled. And a brother is born for adversity, and I'm going to show up for my sister. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for her on the playground. Why don't, why don't you fight for her when she's having a, 
adverse time. There, there's a unifying effect here. You, unity is a byproduct. You don't have unity and then you do these things. You do these things. You are this type, type of a person. You have this kind of a family. Then we have this kind of a church. You, sir, are this kind of a man. Then you can have this kind of a marriage. I want you to consider the opposite of these qualities. All right? Listen. Rather than consoling, the opposite is agitating, troubling. And I told you last week, some people, when they show up on the scene, there's no consoling and soothing. It's like you're you're just agitating. You're making things worse. Could you leave? Could you leave the hospital room? Would you be quiet? You're just, just, you're agitating us. Rather than comforting, you're cold. There's a strictness. You, you measure everything. There's not a generosity. You, you give the minimal amount. It's like, well, how much more time? There's no comfort. Rather than fellowship, you're aloof. You're distant. You don't open your arms. You're disagreeable. You, you don't find points of common agreement. Rather than tender and, and, and have tenderness and mercy, there, there's a harshness. There's an indifference to your life. And you don't even, you're so blind to it. Well, I thought we were getting along and now, now she wants to leave. Duh. This could save some of your marriages. This could save your church. It could save your, the relationship with your family, with your friends. This is no accident. Two cultures, two different influences. One is spiritual, one's born of the flesh. What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to be? One that's a consoler, one that comforts, one that is, knows how to fellowship and, and be a friend, one that is tender and shows mercies, plural, or one that's negative, agitating, cold, aloof, disagreeable, harsh, and indifferent. Which environment would you better... I'm going to tell you, when you walk in, sometimes you're into... You say, something's wrong in the environment. In, in Philippians 2, 1, and in verse 2, 3, and 4, these are healthy environments. And only God can do this. That's why he says there in verse 1, it's in Christ, it's, it's of the Spirit. And if you are a daughter of God, if you're a son of God, he can do this. Now, I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Listen. Over time, a marriage in disunity will implode. Over time, brothers and sisters in disunity will implode. Over time, a life group in disunity will implode. Over time, a church that's in disunity will implode. But a church that's in unity, in unity, not organizational unity. I'm not talking that organization's wrong, but it it doesn't bring unity. It's organic. It comes from life, spiritual life. But a church that is in unity is a blessing to each other. And listen to this, a blessing to the pastor. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. I want you to give me your ear on the blessing of unity. And I don't know how far I get, but I'm going to get as far as I can. Now, let's look. What, what is a benefit of unity? Well, the Bible gives it to us 
in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. He gives us all of these qualities. And I read a lot of commentaries, and it kind of skims over this. But if you would look at the first four words in verse 2, notice what Paul, he, he founded this church at Philippi. He says, fulfill ye my joy that. It almost sounds like a selfish thing. Now, let let me give you the first, and this is really all I want to give you today. That unity benefits the leader. It benefits the leader. Paul said, look, I, I, I will have more joy if you guys will get along. Now, he's speaking as a pastor. But I think this is true of any leader. It's true of the leader of a company, of an organization, of parents, of children, of a coach, or of anybody. And we're we're going to dig deep into this because I I think it's important. Paul says, look at it. He says, fulfill ye, look at this, my joy. Now, this is inspired literature. This is the Word of God, my personal joy. You know what he's saying? The way you live affects my joy. Unity benefits the leader. Now, you remember, this is Philippians 2, that there were two ladies in the church, and they weren't getting along. And one of the few times, there were a number of times in the Bible when Paul called names, not very often he did that, but he did here. And it was the only time, and maybe this is why he was hinting, the church at Philippi was healthy, but it seemed like they, they had some issues with unity because Paul is addressing it. But look at chapter 4 and verse 2. Turn one page over and look at chapter 4 and verse 2. And Paul said, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. These are the same words he uses in verse 2 about having the same mind. <laughs> one commentator said, Paul was saying, I beseech Euodius and soon touchy. Well, it's Syntyche that they be of the same mind. Now, I don't know if, if one wanted to be the nursery coordinator, probably not. One wanted a leadership position and didn't get it or... Someone got their feelings hurt, but there there was disunity in the church. And Paul called it out. But he mentioned the root here was, was you don't have the you're not thinking about the mission of the church. You're not thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you don't have greater things. You're thinking about your pettiness. That's what he was saying. The things you're not thinking about others. You're being selfish. Nothing creates more difficulty in the life of a leader, whether it's a pastor. And I can talk there, and I've had leadership positions and some other things, especially in sports. Then when the people that they're serving cannot get along. I'm telling you, it it wears a leader out. Now, the opposite of unity. Let me me give you some, some antonyms of a group. That's not in unity. Now, it may be your children. It may be your marriage. It may be a church. It may be your office at work if you're the leader. Tension, discord, confusion, dissension, separation. 
Unity benefits a leader. Paul said, fulfill ye my joy. Now, was he selfish for that? Well, no, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove the thesis here. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that unity has benefits. And one of the important things is one day you're going to be a leader and some of you are going to reap the harvest for the kind of child you've been towards your parents. You know, the Bible says, children obey your parents so that it may be well with them. Not only will you live long days, but that it may be well with you. What kind of a child are you in terms of obedience? What kind of teenager are you? You think you're just going to have kids and they're going to, you're not going to reap what you sow? That's what the Bible teaches. You say, preacher, are you scaring me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just preaching the Word of God. Yes. Unity benefits a leader. Ask any parent and they understand this principle that when their children get along, it brings joy, and when they do not get along, it affects their joy. It affects their joy. I remember we had a, we had a because we had seven children, and we had to get a conversion van to, to go anywhere. And we would go outside, and my kids would run to the van <clears throat> when they're older, and they wanted a particular seat, and they they made they would say this say. I called it. Well, I knew what they were saying. They wanted to see. Stop. I said, I don't want to ever hear that again. Of course, I heard it more than once until I, they, they probably were whispering. I don't want to ever hear it again. Now, you said it. You're sitting in the back. You're not calling anything. So the older serves the younger. And I'm trying to teach this biblical mandate because I didn't want them always bullying they're younger brothers and sisters in the culture of our family. But now watch. You see what I'm doing? Are you listening? I'm creating organizational unity. Now it works when they're little. But it's not organic unity. They have, they have to take buy-in for that. Now here, let me show you some verses. Proverbs 23 and verse 24. Look at this verse. Proverbs 23, 24. The father of the righteous shall, look at this, greatly rejoice. Now, you remember what uh, Paul said, fulfill, fulfill. And I'm going to show that word in a minute. Fulfill you, my joy. Now, it doesn't say the father of the righteous shall rejoice. He will greatly rejoice. Now, I'm going to come back to that. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Now, by the way, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So we're all fool, fools when we're born. It, it's bound. And the word bound means like you take a, take a, a, a piece of tape and you, and you just wrap it around. It, it's, it's just bound in our heart. And we need, we need Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to break that bondage of foolishness. So really nobody's born, we're not begotten wise. But the idea is this, is we beget our children and then we have to train our children. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. Do you see this? And parents know intuitively. John 
The apostle confirms this in 3 John. He uses the same metaphor of a family, but of the family of God. 3 John in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, what I want you to see again, he's talking about degrees of joy. Paul said, fulfill my joy. Solomon said, greatly rejoice. There are degrees of joy. And, and God gives you a great joy, but, but listen, God gives me joy, but, but people can influence my joy. Are you, are you with me? John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I remember many years ago, Wyma Porter was here speaking, a, a great Bible teacher that had a profound influence on my life. And he stood right here behind this desk. And I was sitting over here. And I had such a profound respect for him, and I loved him, and he had impacted my life. And he looked over my way and he said, I have no greater joy than my children. And he gestured toward me, my children walk in truth. I remember praying with him on a Wednesday night up here, and he said, I pray for you every day, Rick. He told me one time, he said, I preach more in your church than any other church I've ever preached in. And he and I had a very uh, a unique relationship for a professor and one of his students. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, he's speaking of, of converts and church members. That's why Paul said, I have fulfill you my joy. Listen, it, it breaks a pastor's heart when people can't get along and, and they're not walking with God. But it breaks your parents' hearts more. That's why he used the the metaphor of a home that my children. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. Proverbs 10 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. The word heaviness has the idea of depression. Of depression. I wonder if there's a prodigal in here this morning, and maybe even an adult prodigal. You've had words with your mom decades ago, and you've never gone back and said, Mom, the way I talked to you and Dad, I was wrong. I was a rebel. And you say, Well, it's, it's all good now. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be one day, there's going to be one day when you will wish you had all that back. Four years ago, this evening about 5.20, I had my last conversation with my mom. And she passed away a little bit after midnight, four years ago today. And of course, I was not perfect. God knows that. I know that. But I'm going to tell you in that hospital room in Huntsville Hospital, before they wheeled her out urgently for emergency surgery you know one of the blessings I had in my life not because I'm a good man because I'm not but there were no regrets in my life because things were all they were all cleared up and they've been cleared up for for a long 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 time children obey your parents honor your parents honor your parents let me give you a couple of examples here Paul wrote to Fleeman 
And he had won Fleeman to Christ. And then he was in prison in Rome. And Fleeman had a servant that had stolen from him. And he'd run away. His name was Onesimus. And Paul happened to meet Onesimus in prison. He said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Colossae. He said, I I have a friend there. And he said, who is it? He said, well, his name is Philemon. He said, oh, I know him. That's why I'm here. I I stole from him. And Paul won Onesimus to Christ. And finally, he, he was released. And he sent a letter to Philemon. And he said, I want you to forgive him for my sake as a brother. And Paul wrote Philemon a letter, his friend. And here's what he said in Philemon in verse 20. Yea, brother. Watch this. Let me have joy of thee. Look at this, church. Joy of thee. He's the leader. He's the pastor. Let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh. And there's that word plural. My bowels. My heart. He's talking about my heart. Bless my heart. I, I love you so deeply. He said, your, your obedience can be a blessing to me or it can be a burden to me, your disobedience. Brother, let me have joy of thee and the Lord. And this is why Paul said, he said, fulfill ye my joy. Listen, there, there is a, a blessing to unity that most, most church members know not of. They do not know the burden of disunity. When they fight and they're angry and they don't get along. The pastor just doesn't, he doesn't dismiss that. There have been times where a season when I would wake up, I hesitate to say this, but I I will. When I would wake up on Sunday mornings, I would have to call my wife and say, I need you to pray for me. And and I said, I I can't, I'm talking like at 7 in the morning on Sunday mornings. So I can't I can't prepare. I, I can't pray over my message. I can't you say, Well, was your heart not right? No, that wasn't it. Because there were situations where people were not right with one another, and it it so burdened my heart. And I had to get my I had to get my mind clear. You know what I've learned is that most of the time, if the pastor is a shepherd, now, he ought to be. The word pastor means shepherd. It comes from the word pasture, P-A-S-T-U-R-E. And all pastors ought to be shepherds. But if the pastor is a shepherd and he loves his people, he, he, will, he will have that burden. He will have that concern. It won't be an anger. It will be a burden. It's like he had with Philemon. Let me have joy of thee. And then when Paul wrote to Timothy, I'll I'll close with this because of time. I have so much more. I'll pick this up. He wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy greatly, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Greatly desiring to see thee. I want to see you. Being, look at this, being mindful of thy tears. They had, they had a really close relationship. He had mentored Timothy. That I, look at this, I may be filled with joy. You see the degree of joy? Not that I may have joy, but my joy, like he told the church at Philippi, that my, I may be 
fulfilled, filled full of joy because of you, Timothy, because of your life. By the way, this is Second Timothy. These are some of the last words Paul wrote. He's writing from prison. I want to see you, and he never did see him again, that I may be filled with joy. Now, he says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned, the sincere faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I look, look at this, and I am persuaded in you also. In Timothy, I, I'm filled with joy. As a child, do you bring joy to your parents' heart? Is, is there a resistance in your spirit? You're going to be sorry one day. Are, are you holding on to, to something with another member of the church? And, and you just, you think, well, it's just between us. It's not between just you and us. You affect other people. I wrote this down in my notes. Timothy wasn't high maintenance. You know, you know how sometimes you, if you have more than one child, you have some that are more high maintenance. May I say this? I say this very graciously. And I say it lovingly. Some church members are, are more high maintenance. And they shatter the hearts of the leaders. A church in unity... It's a blessing to each other, and they're a blessing to their leaders. Now, you may say, now, now preacher, why are you preaching this? Because it's the next line in the verse. No agenda, nobody in mind. But I feel like the Holy Spirit of God can take His words and bring them in a full-bearing way upon our hearts. I, I thought about preaching some Christmas messages, but I thought, you know you know what, people, when the angel came, the angels came there to the shepherds in the field, and he, he said, peace on earth. And people talk about peace. Jesus was said about, uh, in his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. But in so many of our lives, there's just no peace personally. There's no peace relationally. And and what we hope for most is just some, some organizational unity. Well, we'll set them over here at the table and them because they don't get along. Because there's no organic unity. And my friends, there, there needs to be repentance in God's church, in God's people. You say, what do you do about it? You, 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 you memorize those verses in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, and you understand what those words mean. And you have ears to hear what the Spirit says. And you say, I'm not liked. I do not console. I do not comfort. I do not. I fellowship with the world. I do not fellowship with. I do not have close Christian friends. And I do not have tenderness in my heart for people. I'm very selfish. And I do not have mercies. I'm very judgmental. God, God, help me. Change me. And I'm going to tell you. When God changes you. And changes others. 
the environment changes. And when that environment changes, buddy, you you talk about a powerhouse and being able to make an impact for the gospel. You have it in your personal life, in your family, and in a church. Would you pray for me and pray with me this morning? Let's bow our heads. I appreciate your being here today and your attention. As I prepared this morning, I I didn't know how much I would get done. But I'm just going to pause. While you sit there, would you just allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you? And would you respond to him? Just respond to him. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and maybe you're religious, but you're lost, and, and you these qualities are so alien to you, and you just need you need to be born again. Just cry out to God and ask Him for mercy to help you, and He can transform you from the inside out. Our Father, I pray that you would help us, Father. And I would be in line first for that help. It is so easy to become impatient and demanding and to see things from my perspective and to push for my own way. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn not necessarily what unity means, but what it means to be a person of unity. Lord, all of these qualities that we read about here in verse 1 are really just reflective of the heart of Jesus. And Lord, we battle with the flesh so often. And I pray we would crucify our flesh. Help us not just be easier to get along with. But God, help us to crucify the flesh and take out the cantankerousness and the negativity and the the bitterness and the pettiness and all of this stuff that resides in our flesh. Oh God, give us the heart of Jesus Christ. And may we know something of that organic unity that is a byproduct. Oh, help us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I sure do appreciate you being here today. Uh, don't forget those uh, uh, budgets, those proposed budgets for 2024 out there on the left side as you leave. And uh, may the Lord bless you. I sure do love you. I thank God for you all week and I pray for you more than you know. You're dismissed. Have a really, really good day.